The following podcast is for informational purposes only, and the opinions expressed therein are not necessarily those of Canal Insurance Company. This information is not designed to replace, substitute, or supplement our client's independent obligation to comply with any laws or regulations. Listeners should complete their own independent research in creation and development of their company's risk management and safety programs. Welcome to episode eight of the Hollow Notes podcast by Canal Insurance Company. I'm Savannah West, Risk Management Analyst at Canal Insurance. This week's guest is attorney Jared Childress. Jared serves clients on a wide variety of legal issues directly affecting the transportation industry, including regulatory issues associated with various DOT administrations, such as NHTSA and FMCSA. Now let's get rolling. Jared, can you tell us just a little bit about you and about your background, um, just kind of who we're talking to? Yeah, so my name is Jared Childress. I'm an attorney at the Scopolitis Law Firm. I do a lot of work in the DOT regulatory space, so that would be uh, FMCSA primarily, um, National Highway Traffic Safety Administration work, and then also FAA work. Um, I also do quite a bit of litigation as well. Um, I've been fortunate enough to go to the Canal Safety Seminar back in 2018 and and present. And unfortunately, we're not all getting together. It's a fun group and I look forward to that event. So hopefully uh, 2021 can be another in-person gathering, but we'll make the best of what we have here. So happy to be here. Great, great. Thank you. Yes, we definitely miss our seminar, but we are hoping that this podcast can kind of help us out a little bit um, and just filling that void. So FMCSA updates, can you tell us a little about a bit about those for right now? What's going on? Sure. So we haven't really seen an active year, much like we've observed in prior years under the Trump administration. Um, the agency is a little bit slower to, to move things along under the Trump administration. Um, we have seen significant changes with hours of service. Those are gonna go into effect on September 29th, and I'm sure you're gonna have questions for me on that a little bit later, so I'll keep rolling on with the regulatory update here. Um, Entry-level driver training standards, we were going to see a change there that's been delayed um, until 2022. So a little bit more breathing room on the entry-level driver training. Changes to CSA, we were expecting some changes to CSA coming here shortly, but those have also been delayed. Um, we can expect to hear um, an additional update from the FMCSA on CSA probably later in the year this year. Drug and alcohol testing, we got a nice New Year's present uh, related to drug and alcohol testing. The uh, random controlled substances test rate went up to 50%. So your drug testing pool that you have of your drivers, now you need to be testing 50% of those drivers for controlled substances. Alcohol remained the same at 10%, but just make sure that you're hitting those those points uh, to make sure that you get to 50% per quarter, ideally, or at least at the end of the year. On drug testing or alcohol testing as well, uh, the FMCSA has noted that they have quote unquote enforcement discretion right now with any kind of missing your uh, percentiles for random testing or post-accident testing because they recognize a lot of the labs just simply are closed down or they have really tight capacity. So 
at times you can't get your driver in. And if you can't, uh, that's where that enforcement discretion comes in. But I just want to make sure that everyone understands that records are critical when you're talking enforcement discretion. If the FMCSA shows up and you say, well, all the labs are closed, so we just stopped random testing, that's not going to work. Um, if you select a driver, you send them and they can't get tested, just document all those communications, document the lab closures, phone calls, anything you possibly can to keep in the drug and alcohol file. That's just going to give you a better chance to uh, survive the drug and alcohol uh, segment of your audit in the future. I was just wondering how much uh, did that sample pool for the drug, so you said it's up to 50%, what was it at? It was at 25% for controlled substances, so it doubled. Um, and oh, wow. that, that, that honestly just kind of came out of nowhere. Um, from my understanding, folks weren't really expecting that announcement, but you know, if you look at the regulations, they do have the ability to fluctuate that uh, random selection percentile. So they, they chose to do that. I think a lot of that has to do with they're trying to really get a handle on fatality accidents and serious accidents, and they feel like the uptick in controlled substances uh, positives is a correlation there, you know. Cool. I'll leave that for you to decide, but. Uh, All right. That's great. And then, so alcohol is still at sitting at what, 20 per, 25%? 10%. Yeah. Oh, 10%. Oh, wow. Okay. So, Jared, um, the random sampling and things of that nature are different from the drug clearinghouse. Is that right? Right. The random selection has always been there. Um, and that's something that if you've ever gone through an audit, that's one of the first things that they like to hit on is they want to get your driver list. They want to find out, you know, what kind of uh, driver's licenses folks have. And they'll check the pool of random drivers and make sure that you're hitting all your percentages. Um, so, yeah, that's always been there, but you're reporting uh, testing and results through the clearinghouse. And... That's really critical right now because, as we know, that was another point that I was going to just touch on real quickly in this regulatory update is the clearinghouse is, is mandatory now and it's in full effect. So if you're not up to speed on the clearinghouse um, and you're not using the clearinghouse to query and report, you really need to get on that yesterday. Um, the FMCSA has a ton of resources on their website that's aimed at answering all those common questions that they're getting. Um, so check out the FMCSA's website for those resources. They're fantastic. It's very helpful. And what is the worst thing, uh, I guess, that could happen really to a fleet if they do not keep proper records for that drug and alcohol um, for the audits? Um, well, there's a number of really serious consequences, some of which involve a uh, fatality accident. Right. So if you get in a fatality accident with your commercial motor vehicle, you have certain timelines that you got to hit with your drug testing and your post-accident uh, controlled substances testing. I see this one a decent amount with larger carriers when they do have serious accidents, fatality accidents, um, or you know those accidents that would require testing, um, and they fail to do it. If you don't keep documentation in your drug and alcohol file, then that's a serious violation. So the FMCSA understands that you could miss a test, right? If your driver is in the middle of nowhere and you can't get them to a lab, you can't get alcohol, um, you can document the failure, but you have to use a post-accident justification form. It's no uh, magic formula, but just uh, documenting the failure is really critical in that situation. 
Um, and then, and then also that would have some serious implications, not only from an audit standpoint, but from a highway accident standpoint. So if your driver got in a serious accident and it was a, an accident that required post-accident testing, you failed to do that. Um, a jury is not going to respond well to that. And you better believe that the plaintiff's attorney is really going to hammer that one home. That will be the theme of the case. This motor carrier, you're just helping them too by saying, you know, hey, we don't comply with the regulations because we don't think they matter that much. We're an unsafe carrier. That's what you're, the ammunition that you're giving the plaintiff's attorney by not testing properly. So Jared, along those same lines, if that did happen, you know, if they fail to properly get drug tested, all of those other little violations may seem minor, but they're just going to get piled up on top, right? I would imagine a plaintiff attorney would just start listing off everything because now they've painted this picture of since this carrier already disregarded one, let's now, let's just see how many other rules they've broken as well, right? Absolutely. So two things on that. Um, if you do mock audits or compliance reviews of your company, that's fantastic. But you want to make sure that what you're doing with this consultant or company that you're working with to give you a compliance review, you want to make sure that's protected under the attorney-client privilege. Because if it's not, then those reports are going to be produced through discovery. Um, and then they're going to basically have a roadmap of your non-compliance. So the, the, the consultant comes in and says, these are the serious things that you need to fix immediately. Obviously, those things are going to take time and money to fix. And if you don't get to all of them, then they're just going to attack each one of those that you don't fix. So make sure you have attorney-client privilege when you're doing a review like that. It's very important. Um, the, the actual compliance report from the DOT audit, um, they're going to be able to get their hands on that either through discovery or um, through a Freedom of Information Act request. So that, you know, those are... You definitely want to pay attention to any of the violations that you receive during a compliance review as well. So we were going to circle back to hours of service updates. Uh, and I saw your face light up there a little bit about the hours of service updates. So I'm very um, excited to hear what you have to say. Yeah, nothing gets me excited like hours of service, let me tell you. <laughs> um, <laughs> so the hours of service, like I said, the changes will go into effect at the end of this month on September 29th. So... Uh, we do have an adverse driving tweak in the language that's also kind of included in those changes, but I'm not really going to talk about that because I don't think it's as important as these other three areas. Um, the short haul exemption was expanded. The 30-minute break was tweaked, and the um, taking your 10 hours off sleep and via sleeper berth was tweaked as well. So I think all three of these changes that I'm going to talk about just briefly here are really positive, and I think it reiterates what the FMCSA has been saying for some time now is they want to give increased flexibility to drivers with regards to hours of service. So I'll start with short haul exemption. That was expanded. It used to be that not all commercial motor vehicles got 150 air miles um, to drive in and um, a 14-hour on-duty window, but that's been changed. So um, you know, the smaller commercial motor vehicles as well as the larger commercial motor vehicles, now they both have 150 air mile radius to operate in, which that additional 50 air miles could mean, you know, a lot of new business for different companies. So that's fantastic. Um, and then also, instead of just 12 hours to, to be on duty and finish your workday, now you have 14 hours on duty. Um, so those are great changes for the short haul, short haul carriers. Um, 
couple of things that I just want to point out when you're using the short haul exemption, just remember that you have to have time cards instead of paper logs or ELDs. So if you're not using time cards, you got to start doing that now. Um, time cards you keep for six months, uh, just like you logs, and then you can purge those after six months. When you're using your time cards, you don't have to be logging on a paper log and you don't have to be logging in an ELD. However, if you're if you go above and beyond your air mile radius or your 14 hour workday uh, for more than eight days in any 30 day period, so take pick any 30 days out of the calendar. If within that time frame you exceed short haul confines more than eight days, then you have to have ELDs. So you if you're a short haul carrier, you really got to make sure that you're not exceeding short haul limitations more than eight days in any rolling 30 day period. If you exceed maybe one or two days in that 30 day period, that's fine, but you got to make sure that you have either a paper log or an ELD completed for those days. Um, short haul can be very straightforward and easy if it's a carrier that doesn't have a lot of variation in their operations, but if it's a carrier that does have variation in their operations, it can get confusing very quickly. Sometimes carriers like to have a little packet, a short haul packet in their glove box that explains, it's just a brief letter from the carrier that says, hey, this driver subject to short haul exemption for these reasons, here's a contact number if you have any questions, you know, blah, blah, blah. So um, long explanation of uh, <laughs> the short haul changes there to hours of service and a couple of words of caution. Um, next, the 30 minute break. Um, it used to be that the 30 minute break was only required if a, if a driver was actually driving in an eight hour period of on duty time. Um, but now, um, effective September 29th, unless that driver drives for eight hours, so you're logging eight hours of drive time, that's when the 30 minute break has to be used. So there's a lot of drivers out there that don't drive a full eight hours in their shift. So those drivers may not have to take the 30 minute break. Another tweak to that 30 minute break is that um, you can do any non-driving time. You can log any non-driving time and satisfy the 30 minute break. Meaning if you pull into a truck stop and you do 15 minutes of fueling, that's obviously on duty time that you're logging, right? And then you could do another 15 minutes right after that of off duty time in the truck stop and that would satisfy your 30 minute break. What you can't do is fuel for 15 minutes, then jump in your truck and drive for an hour, and then stop at a rest stop and do the rest of the 15 minutes. You can't break it up like that, but you can break it up into different tasks as long as driving isn't separating those. The last one that I want to mention that's going into effect on the 29th is the sleeper berth split. Um, so we know that you have to take 10 hours off duty at the end of your shift. Um, this sleeper berth split, uh, if you're a carrier that has sleeper berths, you can split that time into two different segments. So you can have a short segment and a long segment. Your short segment doesn't have to be in the sleeper berth, but your long segment does. Your short segment has to be at least two hours, and your long segment, which has to be in the sleeper berth, has to be at least seven hours. So you could split those up and it gives you a little bit more flexibility if you have the sleeper berth. So also, I mean, if you're if you're going to use the split sleeper berth method, you could actually satisfy your 30 minute break uh, during your little short off duty break there um, in the sleeper berth segment, the shorter segment. So 
those are the, the three main areas that I uh, wanted to touch on with the hours of service changes. Did you have any questions on that long rambling explanation there? No, definitely. That was great. Thank you. So out of the three, uh, the three main ones, um, which one do you think will have the most substantial effect uh, after that, what is that, September 29th effective date? Yeah, it's September 29th. I think the sleeper birth for me, because I, or not the sleeper birth, the, uh, the short haul, sorry about that. Um, mm -hmm. I, I see the short haul as being the most impactful change because I, I come across so many clients that are kind of limited with what they can do with the, the 100 air mile radius. I think they're going to be really excited to have that extra 50 miles open up and the extra two hours for their drivers. Um, so mm -hmm. I think that's the one that's going to impact the most. I bet so, yeah, I personally deal with a lot of one unit, two unit guys that tell me all about their business, and I'm sure that they will just be elated uh, to hear this. Uh, Along those lines, and just through talking with these folks, I think that the 30 minute break flexibility really helps them. You know, a lot of them will just say, hey, I was just at the fuel station taking a break, and then it just doesn't count, and I have to pull over later and take the break. So the trucking professionals have to be really careful about how they use that. And then breaking up the sleeper berth, I hear that too. A lot of them say in the same home stretch, they really don't need it because they sleep in different segments. So that makes them a little bit more efficient. To me, it seems like the FMCSA listened to the professional driving community and these changes do seem beneficial to truckers and address their actual needs. Absolutely. I think I think we're going to see more of those flexibility related changes here in the years to come and it's it's welcomed by the industry. Absolutely. Let's hop on over to DOT audits because although you smiled when I mentioned our service updates, I got a big full on smile when we talked about DOT audits. So what types of audits are there um, out there? Can you tell us a little bit about that? Yeah, so there's three main types of audits that you're going to come across. You're going to have your compliance review, which is that large full audit where they're looking at all basics. Um, then you're going to have your focused reviews, which are going to be a review that is strictly going to be looking at one or two of the basics um, and some of the potential pitfalls and serious violations that you might come across as an investigator. Um, and then of course, you're gonna have your new entrant audit as well. Um, the new entrant audit, as well as all these other types right now are really being conducted remotely. Um, obviously with the pandemic going on, the investigators don't wanna go on site. And frankly, the motor carriers don't really wanna have an investigator in their facility. Um, so a lot of these are being done remotely now, the vast majority. Um, I'm hoping that we don't see this as a trend going forward because I like in-person audits a lot more. I feel like you can manage the, the situation a lot better in person. And I think a lot of motor carriers would agree with that. Um, but hopefully we, we don't see audits being strictly remote uh, going forward. But those cost savings, the FMCSA is gonna definitely take note of the cost savings uh, that they're seeing with those remote audits. And that's gonna be pretty big sell. So I would expect to see more of these in the future. So Jared, just a little bit more about the new entrant audit. Can you tell us more about that? Obviously, if somebody gets new authority, then they're considered a new entrant, correct? 
Can you expand on that just a little bit for us? Sure, yeah. So if you get a uh, new authority, if you switch your authority from intrastate to interstate, uh, that's going to trigger a new entrant audit. So new entrant audits are going to happen within 12 months of those changes to that MCS 150 or to your new authority. Um, I would say they're they're going to happen a lot sooner. You, you should bank on it happening within a quarter away from when you submit that MCS 150 or you get that authority. Um, you should expect it to come within around three or four months. It's not going to be 12 months down the road. Um, and that's strictly um, an off-site remote audit. Um, new entrant um, audits shouldn't be something that you're terrified of necessarily uh, because you get more than one bite at the apple. So if you quote unquote fail a new entrant audit, the FMCSA investigator is going to say, hey, here's all the things that you messed up. You need to fix these and then you can go for it again. So you can have you know some time to make the changes that you need to make and then come back and do another new entrant audit. It's not like your company shut down forever. Alrighty, so it sounds like some things that trucking professionals could probably do to keep themselves out of trouble, and this goes for new entrants all the way to veteran folks, would be to stay organized, be familiar with your ELD system, and just be ready and anticipate that inspection so you're prepared for it, um, and so it'll go smoothly. Yeah, I, I'd say on the ELD transferring note, I mean, you may call your VLD vendor, this is for a new entrant audit or any audit whatsoever. If you know you're going to have an audit, you should probably reach out to your vendor and say, hey, we're going to be audited by the DOT. We're going to have to transfer some logs. I need to make sure that some support is lined up. Who can I contact if I have problems? That way, I'm not just dead in the water with the FMCSA. So it's always good to put your vendor on notice that you're going to be audited, whether or not that's new entrant or, or a full compliance review. Okay. And, and okay. I want to part one, one second on what you just said about uh, having your manual for your ELD and having your transfer instructions. That's a violation that we just start consistently seeing. That's turned into kind of low-hanging fruit at roadside. It's not necessarily that drivers don't have it on their device because almost all the devices have the manuals loaded onto the device. They don't know how to find them, and the officer's not going to stand there for 15 minutes while they fumble around with the device. So know how to find your manual so you can just pop that open for the investigator also um, or the officer at roadside. But make sure that you understand where those transfer instructions are as well because you might need them. There's Chances are there's a lot of drivers out there that have never had to transfer a log and they've never seen it done. So know where those step-by-step -step instructions are to transfer. That way you don't end up getting violations for not knowing how to transfer. Uh, it's definitely um, kind of a beginner's, um, a little bit of a hang up with the beginners. They are excited, they get on the road, they get a new contract, jump in the truck, start driving, all of a sudden that audit creeps up on them and they have no idea how to work their ELD. But that mm -hmm. happens to a fair, fair few of them. And then just out of curiosity, um, is there an unlimited amount of times for a, um, for that, uh, for that audit that they can fail or quote unquote fail or? How does that work? Um, well, asking to have another new entrant audit after you've failed five of them is probably not going to be received well. <laughs> I would say, you know, taking two bites at the apple, that's what you could expect to be uh, 
welcomed, if you will. Um, could you continue asking for new intern audits? Yeah, but you're going to have a lot more problems if you fail two in a row. So I would say if you fail one, that's that's when you need to have your come to Jesus moment and then make sure that you nail it on that second one. So if they do fail an audit and say they just don't agree, so they want to dispute that, dispute the failure, failure can you do that? Can you dispute um, failing an audit and kind of have that overturned or how would that work? Yeah, so here we're talking about the situation where you get audited and then you get a downgrade to your safety rating. Um, I'm, I'm assuming that's what you're asking about, so I'm going to answer the question that way. Um, if you go through an audit and your safety rating goes from, you know, there's you have your satisfactory rating, your conditional rating, and your unsatisfactory rating, but you also have not rated, which I'm sure there's a lot of folks listening to this that are actually not rated. That's totally fine if you're not rated. That just means you've never had a rateable compliance review. Um, so if your safety rating goes from not rated or satisfactory and you get downgraded to conditional, there's two processes that you can go through to dispute that. Um, you could go through an administrative process, which was just rarely pursued, and it's very expensive, time-consuming, and burdensome. That's the administrative route. We don't always recommend that unless there's some strong legal basis to do that. Um, the most common scenario that we would pursue in that situation is to submit a safety management plan, uh, which essentially just outlines the corrective actions that this motor carrier's taken in response to the compliance review. Um, Technically, you're required to address all of those um, acute and critical violations that are found in the compliance review when you're submitting a safety management plan, but I always like to put forth the extra effort and, and just address all those non-critical and acute violations as well. Um, even though the criticals and the acutes are the violations that actually get your safety rating downgraded. So. What you'll do is submit the corrective actions in, a, in an outlined safety management plan to say, you know, hey, to fix this hours of service problem, we're now going to be auditing 10% of logs every month going forward, and we're going to cross-check them against fuel receipts and bills of lading and things like that. That's a really common corrective action. That's the kind of stuff that the FMCSA wants to, wants to see. Um, so that's the safety management plan option, which is the one that, you know, I – 99% of the time we'll pursue in this situation. Um, and we, we have a lot of success with the safety management plans. There's a formula that the FMCSA likes to see. Um, and a big part of the safety management plan too that I wanna mention before we move on is timing. So the timing of the safety management plan is really critical. If you get a compliance review and you do your closeout meeting and the um, investigator says, hey, you're gonna get a conditional rating. Um, then what you're going to get is a couple of days later, maybe a week later, you're going to get a letter that says, hey, your effective conditional rating is going to take effect on this date in the future. It's usually 60 days. If you're a hazmat carrier, it's going to be 45 days. So you want to make sure your safety management plan is submitted with at least two weeks of time for the FMCSA to review that safety management plan. So whatever that effective date of your conditional rating is, Two weeks prior to that, you have to have your safety management plan submitted. Otherwise, they're not going to have the time to review it. And then at that point, your rating is going to take effect. The negative consequences are going to be felt, probably through your insurer, um, definitely through brokers if you deal with brokers. So that's going to be a negative impact for you. If you get it in in time, 
it'll get reviewed, you'll get an answer before your rating takes effect. But again, if you wait too long, they won't have time to review it. And then you go to the bottom of the stack and then you can be looking at six months sitting there with your conditional rating, um, just kind of sitting on your hands waiting for the FMCSA to get back to you. So timing is everything with that. That's great. How often would you say that that safety management plan, how often would you say that that's positively effective towards the um, uh, driver safety score? Um, well, are you asking about the success rate of the safety management plan? Yes. If that's what you're asking, I would say uh, nine times out of 10, I've had success with those and I've done dozens of them. So um, if you are a motor carrier that's taking it seriously and you're willing to put in the time and resources to get these corrective actions in place, uh, there's there's very few times, very few scenarios that you would not have success getting your rating back. That was great, Jared. Thank you so much. We really appreciate all of your insight and thank you just so much again for hanging out with us today. Uh, we hope you folks enjoyed this podcast and please join us next time on Holland Notes. Want to make sure you never miss a Holland Notes episode? Head to the link in the show notes to sign up for email notifications.